0: Come on now, I'm going to move this. Hey, well, welcome. My name is Mac. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you, hello, good to see you. Um, uh, we are in the middle of a series called The Million Dollar Question. And the premise of the whole series is this, uh, is this reality, that God doesn't actually need our money, like he's God. It's like he's not short up there, right? Like, like he's, he's God. He doesn't actually need our money. So then why does he talk about it so much? And like, if this is your first time with us today, or, and maybe like a friend has been asking you to come for months and months and months, and you're like, oh, great, I came during the money talk. Fantastic, <laughs> right? I can feel the tension. It's like, ooh, there he goes. He's gonna talk about money. We actually don't talk about money that much here. Um, every about 18 to 24 months, we talk about money. We talk about giving all the time, but we, we don't really talk about money all that much. But that's actually what this series is about. And uh, last, or two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the heart of why we're actually doing this series, and the fact that God doesn't need your money. And so if the Bible talks about it so much, perhaps it's not because God needs it, perhaps it's because you need to learn how to be generous for your own sake. And maybe that's maybe that's a, there's something in that that we need to learn. And then last week we talked about uh, stewardship and the fact that everything that we have is God's. And that he asks us to steward or manage it and the first rule that he has for managing the finances and the resources that he's given us is the first 10 percent or what we call the tithe. and we 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 talked a little bit about how when we trust god with the first he orders the rest of it and when he orders the rest of it we can rely on him and trust in him that he's going to provide for our needs and we believe this so much that we introduced a concept called the three-month tithe challenge. So if you haven't been on a journey of tithing, if that's not something that you were regularly doing in your faith walk, we wanna invite you on that journey. And to help you, um, what we did was we said, hey, if you wanna fill out a form and for the next three months, just try it. Just try and trust God with the first 10% And see if the words that he says in Malachi, which is that he would open up the windows of heaven and pour down upon us a blessing that we cannot contain, see if that's actually true in your life. And if after three months, you don't believe that, he hasn't come through for you, we'll give you your money back. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't want your money, we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But what we want for you is that God would have your heart because more than anything in the world, God wants your heart And he knows that for many of us, our hearts are attached to our treasure. We say this actually all over the place, even in business, that if you want to know what people value and you want to know what people love, you look at where they spend their time and where they spend their money. And so a lot of us, our hearts are attached. In fact, Jesus said it, right? Wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And so we had this, this three month tithe challenge. And so if we encourage you, we invite you to take that journey to try that. So, um, but here's the deal: you have to fill out the form because we're not going to give random people a bunch of money back. So we need you to fill out the form. You can either do it at the QR code behind me or at the Connect desk. You can fill that out, and then after three months, um, if it's not working out for you, we'll give you your money back and stuff. And last week was really amazing. Giving went like skyrocketed, it was pretty cool, it was pretty cool to see, and, um, but he, and we don't know if it was because people were doing the tithe challenge, or people just were being really convicted about generosity and stuff, either way is cool, that's fantastic that you're on that journey, but we got a lot of anonymous donations <laughs> and, and gifts, and which is fine, if that's what God wants you to do, and he's working on you on that, that's totally cool, we don't want to stand in the way, but if you'd like a giving statement, it would be really helpful if we knew who you were, so um, if, you could, if you have a gift and you're like, I really want to give, and, um, but I, I need a giving statement at the end of the year, which is fine, uh, if you would put it in an envelope and fill that out for us, we'd love to be able to send you a giving statement, which we can't do if we don't know that you're the one giving. So we'd really appreciate that. But today, I'd really like to drill into a concept called generosity, so um, this has been a, a part of my story, and my, my, mine and my wife's story, for a long time. And um, I want us to kind of evaluate what does it mean to have a heart of generosity. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I'd love for us to turn to the Gospel of John, and we're going to read together uh, a passage of Scripture that I think will help us as we unpack this truth. So let's, let's take a look at it together. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, I love that, nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. He goes on to say, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, I love how John makes those aside, he does it throughout, it's fantastic, but um, who would soon betray him said this, this is what he said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, after all, he was a thief. Gotta love it. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. The mitigated gall. Oh my goodness. He stole from the... Would you do... Like, seriously. The offering plate goes by. Would you steal it? Like, like. Like, you might make change, but you're not gonna gank from it, right? You're not gonna do that. You're like, I wanted to give five, but I only got a 20, Lord. Please forgive me, you know? It's like, he stole from the purse. Baby, that takes guts. So anyway, so anyway, um, there's a lot of questions that I have when I read this passage of Scripture. There's a lot of things that come up, but I really want to focus on two things, and kind of two surface questions that I think will really help us dig down deep and, and talk about the heart of generosity. And those first two questions are, are this. Why did Mary do what she did? And the second one is, why did Judas react the way he did? Now, we have a little bit of Judas's story, but I think that that God wants us to maybe unpack this a little bit and maybe kind of hold up a mirror to our lives a little bit. And so we're going to dive in. And I think that as we take a look at this passage of Scripture, we see two hearts or two attitudes, two heart postures, really prevalent in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is a generous heart and we see that in Mary. It's a generous heart, right? It's a generous heart that we see in Mary. And the second one is a selfish heart that we see in Judas. Now, nobody wants a selfish heart. We all want a generous heart. So I think it's probably pretty appropriate that as we navigate through this journey, as we navigate through this life, And we want to have a generous heart to ask ourselves probably a pretty important question Am I a generous person? Am I a generous person? I mean, really? Am I a generous person? I think it's a great evaluation question. Now, notice I didn't say, Are you a generous person? Or, Why aren't you a generous person? I don't want to be accusatory here, but I also want to say, I want to ask myself, Why am I? Am I really a generous person? Because I'm on this journey too. My wife and I have been used by God to to do incredible things. It's been wonderful. It's been an amazing journey. We've been on a journey of generosity since we got married. But what's really interesting is no matter how long I've been on that journey, I still battle with this. I still fight the old man who wants to be selfish and the new creation who wants to be generous. Generous. In fact, about four or five weeks ago, my wife and I uh, had an experience and the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart and said, Mac, are you being generous right now? And I had to be really, really honest and God and I had to have a corrective conversation in that moment. So you're not alone. Like, understand, I'm not up here just saying words to you and accusing, like, this is a journey that I'm on too. No matter what we've done in our lives and what we've seen God do through us, I'm on this journey as well. And we wanna make sure that we're constantly asking that wonderful evaluatory question, am I a generous person? And what's really interesting as we're talking about this, people come to me um, and they ask me this question as we're talking about generosity. Pastor Mac, how do I know that God is the one asking me to give? How How do I know? How do I know that it's God that's asking me to give? And I just want to help you. Um, This is kind of really simple. It's a rule of thumb that I have. Uh, the, The enemy of your soul, the devil, will never tempt you to be generous. And God will never invite you on a journey of selfishness. So if there's a moment in your life and an opportunity for you to give and be generous, we probably should assume that it's not the devil, it's probably God. And so today I wanna talk about three things regarding generosity. And and this statement that I just made kind of leads me to the first one. And that is that there is an enemy of generosity. Do you know that? That there's an enemy of generosity. And so I wanna unpack that a little bit. What is the enemy of generosity? Now, according to the statement that I just made, it might be, uh, we might say that it would be the devil, but it's not the devil that's the enemy of generosity. Actually, the enemy of generosity is selfishness. It's selfishness. James chapter 3, 14 through 16 says this. Let's check this out. But if you are bitterly jealous, say jealous. And there is selfish, say selfish, ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. He goes on to say, oh, it gets better. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He goes on to say, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Whoa. Now we know what was the motivation behind Judas when he was pushing back against Mary's generosity. We see this enemy of generosity right in our story that we're talking about today. Judas, he didn't care about the poor, which is what it says in the scripture, right? He said... You could have given the money to, he didn't care about the poor. He wanted some for his own. And so it was his selfish ambition that was driving against the generosity of Mary. But what does this look like in our life? Don't raise your hand if this sounds like you sometimes. Wow, the person driving that car, that car is so extravagant. You know, if they were a good Christian, they could sell that car and give the money to the poor. Or man, there's only two of them. They're retired. They've got a house with five bedrooms. They don't need that many bedrooms in their house. It's just the two of them. They should sell that house, get something smaller, and give the money to the poor. Hmm. You see, a lot of times we are willing To judge other people's extravagance. And by extravagance, I mean, they simply have something that you don't. And judge their heart based on our perceived ideal of what their generosity should look like. Because it's a whole lot easier for us to be generous with other people's things and so we look at them and we say, oh, look at how extravagant their life is. That is, of course, until you get a raise and you can afford the, afford the same car and the same house. And now all of a sudden, it's perfectly fine for you to have those things. You've worked hard. Right? And so the, that same selfishness and generosity that James calls demonic lies at the heart of not only Judas's response to Mary's generosity, but our response to other people's lives. And that selfishness drives itself into our hearts to get our attention off of God who provides everything for us and onto the things that he provides for us so that we think our source is the thing and not the one who provided it. And when we do that, we start to live tight-fisted as we talked about two weeks ago. We start to live tight-fisted and we stop God's ability to bless us so that he can bless others through us. And so there's an enemy of generosity and that's our own selfishness. It's our own selfishness to, to control what we have, to keep what we have. But God wants us to live a different kind of life because he's a generous God. We believe that, don't we? He's a generous God and we need to reflect. His. It's not that God has generosity for you. He is generosity. It's a part of his character. It's an outflow of who he is and we're supposed to reflect that. But what the enemy tries to do is to get our attention off of God and onto ourselves so that we can be tight-fisted, white-knuckle the things that we have and stop God's ability to allow us to be generous on his behalf. So there is... There is an enemy of generosity. But here's the thing, there's also, and this is my second thing that I wanna talk about, an extravagance of generosity. See, there's a lot of stories in scripture about extravagant generosity. There's a story in 2 Chronicles. Check this out. In 2 Chronicles, David is building the temple. Now, he's been told by God he's not gonna finish it. His son Solomon's going to finish it. But David still wants skin in the game. So he wants to give to the building of the new worship center. He wants to give something towards it. So out of his own money, David gives gold and silver and livestock and a bunch of things in order to build the temple. And in today's market, the value of what David gave was $20 billion. $20 billion! It makes our 10 to 17 million for a new worship center seem kind of small. $20 billion he gave. That's a pretty extravagant gift. There's another example in the New Testament. I love this one. Jesus actually points it out. It's pretty cool. There's a, there's a widow woman who walks into the temple in front of everybody and gives the equivalent of what is a quarter of one, of one cent. And Jesus looks at her and says, wow, that is an extravagant gift. And we might sit back and go, okay, I'm not great at math, but 20 billion and one quarter of one cent doesn't seem like it's that extravagant in, in, in matching. Like it doesn't seem like it matches. But here, in God's kingdom, let me help you understand this. In God's kingdom, generosity and extravagant generosity has nothing to do with amounts or percentages, it has everything to do with our heart. Amen. Yep. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that we're bringing when we come to bring God the gifts that we have to bring him. You see, Mary's, Mary's offering was actually pretty impressive. 300 denarii, that's a year's wages. I mean, think about it. Would you, be, would you be willing, think about what you make in a year. 300 grand, 30 grand, three grand, and drop it in the offering today just drop it in the offering today. You think that would impress God? Do you think there's anything that we can do to impress him in giving? I mean, think about it, the God of the universe, the one who created the universe with a word and that word was so powerful and had so much creative force that the universe is still expanding today, creating space. God who put a coin in the mouth of a fish so one of the disciples could pay his taxes. Like, that's a cool plan. Everybody's gonna go out and ask Pastor Bobby to take him fishing. I need to catch it. Even so, Lord, do it again. Do it again. I believe it. I believe you can do it. Do you think a God that can do that is impressed with your offering? You think there's anything you can do to impress him? Yeah, you can. You can. In Zephaniah chapter 12, God says that he, in a beautiful poem, by the way, that he rejoices over his people. The imagery that we get is that he stands up, jumps around, twirls around, and dances and shouts for joy because he's in a relationship with his creation. You see, for God, the impressive offering is when you give him your heart. That's an impressive offering. That's an extravagant offering for God. But hear my heart on this, we can't say that God has our heart if he doesn't have our money. We can't say God has our heart when we're holding things back from him. We can't say that he has our heart. When the Bible says that our heart is attached to our treasure, but our treasure is focused inward, then our heart is focused inward. God doesn't have it. And as we're talking about generosity and as we're talking about giving, I just think it'd be really good for me to mention that there are actually three levels of giving in Scripture. There's three levels of giving in Scripture. The first level is tithes. The second level is offerings. And the third level is extravagant offerings, or as one person said, painful offerings, because it really hurts when you give it. (laughs) And God wants us to be generous people. But we can't be generous until we are first obedient. And here's the thing. The first 10% on the tithe, we talked about this last week, that's God, He, he tells us to return it to him. He commands us to return it to him. But Barna, one of the largest research groups that researches everything church and Christian related, came out with a study not that long ago that says this, and I'm being generous with this number, that 5% of people who say that they are regular church attenders give 10% of their gross income. 5%. 5% 5% haven't been obedient and returned the tithe to God. That's heartbreaking. That 95% of people have not experienced the fullness of everything that God has for them. That 95% of people haven't experienced God using them in generosity. Well, they still give and help people. Here's, you can't be generous until you're first obedient. If you haven't given to God what he's asked you to give to him, which is the first 10%, then what you're giving is out of that first 10%. Generosity kicks in after you're obedient. Now, I I don't like to focus on heartbreak. I'm a possibility dude. I like to think of the good things. So what it would be like? Take a journey and a dream journey with me on what it would be like if everybody in America if everybody in America who was a regular church attender gave 10%, the church would have $165 billion. One person is excited about what we can do with $165 billion. Now the cool thing is we've done a whole lot with with a whole lot less. But what could we do for $165 billion? Let's put it into a little perspective, shall we? $25 billion would solve world hunger right now. $15 billion would cure the water sanitation problem, especially in third world countries where the most impoverished people live. $12 billion would solve the illiteracy problem around the world. So if you wanted to read and write, you could learn to read and write. $1 $1 billion would fund 100% of world missions, and we'd still have over $100 billion to do something with. Now that might be a dream, that might be pie in the sky, but that's the kind of pie I like to eat. Yep. We could do a lot, of, we could have a lot of impact with that. That's amazing, but a lot of people haven't even gotten to the first level, which is tithe. And it's heartbreaking. Because we're so focused on keeping what we have that we we haven't taken the opportunity to look around to see where we can be generous. You see, when you're not faithful with the tithe, when you're not faithful with that first 10%, the words of Malachi can't be true in your life. God can't open up the windows of heaven and pour down upon you a blessing that you cannot contain. And those words cannot contain, it's really important, because you're not supposed to contain them. When, you open, when God opens up the windows of heaven and pours down on you a blessing, it's so that other people around you are blessed. You see, we are blessed to be a blessing. And when we are faithful with the first, God orders the rest, and he allows generosity to flow up from within us and spill out onto all the people around us. You see, there's an extravagance of generosity. There's an enemy of generosity, and that's our selfishness, but there's an extravagance of generosity, but it begins with the heart. It begins with the heart. And not only is there an extravagance of generosity, but there's also a reward of generosity. God rewards generosity. You see, the story of Mary's anointing is actually repeated in several different different other places in Scripture and some of the other Gospels. And I want to just review something that's said in Mark when it talks about this. So in Mark chapter 14, this is what it says. Mary has just given, she's been rebuked by Judas, and so Jesus rebukes Judas and says, leave her alone. And this is what he says. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. This is a part of her reward. You see, Mary's posture of generosity was pretty immense. She didn't come to Jesus so that she would be rewarded. She didn't come to Jesus so that she would be remembered. She didn't come to Jesus expecting anything. She came to Jesus because what, here, here's why. Because we asked the question in the beginning, why did Mary do what she did? What we, what we might not understand is that months previously, Mary lost her brother. He died. His name was Lazarus. And Jesus, out of compassion and love for that family, raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Mary, out of gratitude in her heart, decided that she wanted to lavish generosity on Jesus. Because we learned last week that gratitude or generosity always comes from gratitude. That when we realize what God has done in our lives, we can't help but being generous. And you say, well, God hasn't raised anybody from the dead. Really? Because when I remember my life, I was pretty dead in my sin and pretty dead in my hopelessness. I was pretty dead in my addictions and suffering the consequences of my own selfish, self-destructive behavior. But Jesus Christ, through the mercy and the grace of God, raised me from the dead into new life in Christ so that I can have a hope and I can have a purpose and he can do the same thing for you. And for many of us, he has done that, and we've forgotten that Jesus has raised all of us from the dead, and our hearts should be a wellspring of gratitude that pours out into generosity to the people around us. Because the Bible says this, catch it, that when you are generous to people around you, God himself receives your offering in his throne room. Generosity always comes from gratitude, and that's the posture that Mary took when she came. She didn't come expecting anything because that's what generosity is. You see, when you give and you think God owes you, that's selfishness. But when you give without any expectation of anything in return, that's generosity. And that's the heart posture that Mary brought to the table when she poured that oil over Jesus' feet. And that's the sort of, of offering that God rewards, but we think, or we mistake the fact that He rewards us with blessings. But blessings are different than rewards. Blessings are the resources. That's the finances and stuff like, yeah, all of that stuff. But reward all throughout Scripture, when God rewards, it's always about relationship with Him. It's always about relationship with Him. You see, Genesis twelve tells us that God rewards us with Himself. And what Jesus did with the widow and Mary was he propped them up as a part of their reward. He propped them up for all the world to see for throughout all time, wherever the gospel is preached and taught, that these people, these two beautiful, amazing women are close to me. Be like them. Because I want to reward you with myself. And what's amazing is it doesn't just stop there. It's not just about us. Sure, God blesses us amazingly, but the reward is his presence, and he works his generosity in our hearts as we develop more of his character in our lives. You see, I'm not saying this so that we can get all of your money. God's been, God has been so gracious and amazing to this church and this organization. But I didn't get into ministry so that I could get paid, because it doesn't pay all that much. This church takes care of me. You guys are, are amazing. I'm just telling you that for most of my ministry, in 26 years of ministry, I had two or three jobs. What I want you to experience is the freedom and the joy that comes from extravagant giving, from extravagant generosity. Because I'm telling you from personal experience that once you experience generosity of that type, once you experience the joy and the hope and the amazing grace that comes from being generous, it's the most amazing experience you've ever felt. I told somebody a while ago, I was like, listen, Aside from being married, accepting Jesus and watching my three kids be born, I'm telling you, the things that God has allowed us to do in generosity, it's the most amazing experience. And I just want you to experience it just once because it will set you free as God develops a heart of generosity in you. That's why 70% seventy over 77% of people who do give, ten percent actually give well above and beyond. Because when we trust him and God opens the heavens and breaks the curse of selfishness, it's almost addictive. You can't get enough. You just want to give it away. It's pretty amazing. Imagine what life would be like instead of people trying to conserve things because the government is crazy and the markets are crazy and we don't trust anybody anymore. Imagine what would happen if we actually trust God's word, knew that he was gonna take care of us and instead of looking for ways to make money and save money, we were looking for ways to be generous to people. That we were asking God to give us the eyes to see our community the way he wants us to see it so that we can meet needs that we haven't seen before because there's a reward for generosity. There is a reward and it's God's presence. Now I'm not saying that in order to experience God's presence or in order to get saved, that you need to give. What I'm saying is because you are saved, you need to give given to his kingdom, given to his work. Be generous, be faithful with your tithe, but look for opportunities to be generous and to pour out his grace because we learned for the last two weeks that as we give, it's actually a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. But we can't give to get, we have to give to give. Give. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11. Sometimes I just want to open the Bible and read it and just walk off the stage (laughs) because these guys are way better at this than me. But check this out. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Paul is talking about money. Make no mistake about it. He is talking about our money. And he's talking about offerings and tithes. And this is what he says. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer... And then bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. It's not a great harvest of resources. It's not a great harvest of seed. It's not a great harvest of money. It's a great harvest of generosity. You see, our reward is closeness with God. And as he rewards us, he also blesses us because we are in this transaction where he can trust us to be generous. And so when we give, when we're faithful to be generous, he produces a great harvest of generosity in you so that it will flow out of you. He goes on to say this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way, not just money, not just It's time, it's relationships, it's closeness with him so that you can always be generous. generous. And when we take your gifts or when you give your gifts to those who need them, they will thank you. See, your reward is that God develops this character of himself in you that allows you to have a harvest of generosity. But what's amazing is the reward doesn't stop there because when you give in your generosity to other people, they will turn their attention to God and they will begin to develop his character in them and the reward continues to grow. And that's what we're called to. That's why our generosity is a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. That's the amazing part about this whole thing. We think that if we give, we're going to be blessed with more resources. No, we're actually going to be rewarded with God's heart of generosity. And as we are a a conduit of God's blessing to the people around us, he develops a joy in the midst of all of it so that we can give. We find joy in giving rather than receiving. I remember reading it in a book somewhere. You see, God hasn't called us to be a reservoir, a blessing for those really hard times. God has called us to be a conduit of his blessing at all times. Because when we live open-handed before him, God pours down blessings that aren't even meant for us, but they're meant for other people. And we get to be a part of the story that he writes on their life. That's the harvest of generosity. It changes your life. And we begin, when we allow God to make that transaction in our heart, we begin to start looking for opportunities for God to use us to bless someone else to the point where more of our time is spent looking for ways to give than to keep. I'm not saying it's wrong to save or conserve or be wise, but at the end of the day, when you die, you can't take it with you. And God wants you to be a blessing to other people. He wants you to be a part of the story that he's writing on their life. There are people who have given millions and millions of dollars and thanked pastors, saying, thank you for making my money matter. Thank you for making this redeemed and doing something with it. So we don't just talk about this. I want to show you it. So let's take a look at the screen. What's up, Cape Christian? Pastor Brandon here. Listen, I am so excited. We are here with Miss Tamara Hunter and here Lauren with Hoops on the Mission. We got some awesome things happening. let miss Tamara works at Franklin Park Elementary. And here's the thing, they've been in that school since 1957? Yes. 1957, and here, the crazy part. They're getting a brand new state of the art school that is going to bless them and their community. But right. as the Bible says in Matthew 25 40 says, as though we're supposed to take care of the least of these. And we got word from Ms. Hunter that a few families needed some help and needed some blessings with some groceries. So today, what we're going to do, and all thanks to what you're doing here at Cape Christian, is we get to bless eight families with free groceries. So, hey, Lauren, you ready? Let's go. Let's go bless the families. <laughs> take yes. care. I didn't show you this so that we could boast. Look and see what Cape Christian did. I did this. We wanted to show you this because we didn't want it to just be words. We wanted it to be action. And more importantly, I wanted to show you and tell you that it was not hard to find this need. All we needed to do was look. All we needed to do was ask. And it wasn't hard to fill the need. All we needed to do was be obedient. I told you that my wife and I experienced, or I experienced, a moment where God had challenged me on my generosity. What had happened was my wife um, a need came before her, and she found out somebody was in need, and and it was a an extravagant generosity need. It was going to hurt, and she had a number in her head, and I had a number in my head, and. Um, uh, usually what happens, because we've been on this journey I, I, When I tell you that this is my life journey Generosity has been a big part of my life and my family I'm not kidding like this is, It's been a huge portion of my marriage and, and our family And what typically happens is whether I, get, whether I get burdened for a need or my wife does We have a number And 90% of the time Because we tell each other to pray about it When we come back together, it's the exact same number This time, her number was smaller. And I went, oh, thank God. (laughs) And in that moment, God, in his infinite grace, corrected my heart and said, Mac, are you being generous? And I went, no. And he said, son, I gave you a number. What are you gonna do with the rest? And so once again, God brought me on a journey of generosity where I get the joy of looking for opportunity to give To be the hands and feet of Jesus practically to a world that is aching for him. Where we can support kids going to camp and being called by God into ministry. Where we can be a part of God changing the course of families. You see, when God delivers you from the burden and the selfishness. And brings you to new life and generosity in Him. He opens up a world, a miraculous world. And you become free from the chains that held you. And once again, I can find joy in giving. will never experience anything like it, when you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so today I want to talk to three people and we'll close with this. If you're here today and you've never given that first extravagant gift of your heart to Jesus, I want to let you know he wants a relationship with you. Jesus died the death that you deserve. He died the death that I deserve to give me the life I could never earn set me on a path and give me purpose and hope and he wants to do that for you so that you're not bound in your selfishness you're not bound in purposelessness you're not bound in hopelessness he wants to give you a hope and a purpose and if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of living that old life Jesus wants to raise you into a new life and so if you would text CAPE YES to 94000 I'm gonna pray for you here in a moment But if you would check KPS to 94,000, we would like to give you some tools to help equip you on the walk and the journey. Or maybe you're here today and you gave your life to Jesus years ago, but you've held a little bit back. You haven't been faithful to return the tithe to him. God wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour down upon you a blessing that you cannot contain, but he can't do it until you're obedient. And he wants to do it for you. I want you to experience this. I'm begging you to give him a chance. And so I encourage you, I invite you to take the three-month tithe challenge. And the third one is maybe you've been faithful in your tithe. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit is really working on your heart right now, saying, I want you to increase your generosity. There's some people that I want you to reach. There's some things that I want you to do. And you might be like, God, that's going to be painful. And he's going to say, I know. I know but I will provide for your need according to my riches and glory. It's not you, it's me. And I wanna use you to change somebody's life. And so if we would, if you can, could you stand with me out of honor for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place? I wanna pray for all three of those. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for those that have made a decision to follow you today to start a new journey of their life. God, I pray that you would solidify that choice in their hearts and in their minds and that you would surround them with godly men and women that would help encourage them in their faith walk. God, Monday's gonna come and life's gonna hit them square in the face and they're still gonna have to make a decision to follow you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would solidify it in their hearts. And God, that they would begin a new journey of being raised to new life in Christ and it begins today. And God, I pray for those who who maybe followed you or maybe been following you for a while, but they've been holding back a part of their heart, God, I pray that you would, that you would uh, set them free from that bondage, God, that they would be open to all that you have for them and that they would be willing to allow you to open up the windows of heaven and to be obedient to return the tithe to you so that you can bless them so that they can be a blessing to other people. And in the process, God, not only with them, but also those that you're challenging in the area of generosity, I pray that you would solidify that decision in their life as well, God, and that you would continue to encourage them. Open our eyes, Jesus. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the need around us and help us, God, to know that you will funnel resources through us to meet the need. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the courage to make the impact and the joy of generosity. And Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory alone. And everybody said, amen. Give him a shout of praise.